Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Kat Angus, a good friend and now the senior staff writer at BuzzFeed Canada. She also co-hosts the wonderful podcast I Hate It But I Love It with Jocelyn Getty, where they discuss pop culture through a feverish lens of conflicting emotions. I appeared on an episode about M. Night Shyamalan's Signs a couple of months ago, and now it's payback time. Cat picked The Thing, and frankly, I'm amazed it's taken two and a half years for someone to bring the movie on the podcast. Uh, John Carpenter's masterful reworking of Howard Hawks and Christian Nyby's 1951 programmer is a textbook example of how to reinvent a property from the inside out. It's a story of isolation and invasion that plays out in slow burns and big jumps, with a dozen character actors, including Kurt Russell and Keith David, squaring off against an infectious threat that could be hiding inside any one of them. Misunderstood by critics and overlooked by audiences on its release 35 years ago, it now stands as one of the greatest horror movies ever made. And it damn well should. This is someone else's movie. Uh, the Thing is my favorite movie of all time. Mm-hmm. And I say that as someone as an 11-year-old who, whose favorite movie was The Usual Suspects, this movie finally knocked it out after about <laughs> 10 years. Okay. And I think it is just such a brilliant movie uh, and not necessarily different from what John Carpenter usually does, but certainly better than what he normally does. Okay, so I this think... is interesting. So, so uh, how how did you come to it? How did you find it? Did oh, you know gosh. who Carpenter was when you saw it? I had no, <laughs> I'd known of him. I don't mm-hmm. think I'd seen the original Halloween yet. Okay, and but and I had definitely not seen anything like They Live, or and I basically just seen like commercials. For Dennis Miller's, like, that vampire movie that he made. Oh. Or is it Dennis Miller? No, no, James no. Woods. James Woods, that's who yeah. I'm thinking of. Vampires. Vampires. And so... It's here somewhere. <laughs> I bought the UK special edition. So I think that was basically my only exposure to John Carpenter at all. It was not even seeing the movie Vampires. It was just seeing commercials for James Woods in the vampire movie. Okay. Uh, and I can't remember who showed it to me or if somebody... If I just read interviews or something like that. But I just remember watching it and thinking... This is incredible, and Russell, like Kurt Russell, is the most handsome man in the world. <laughs> Nineteen eighty-two, Kurt Russell is the most ideal Kurt Russell under that there the, is. Under the giant beard. Yeah. Oh, oh, works on me <laughs> completely. It's kind of amazing that now that sort of standard twenty-five-year-old guy look. Yeah. And they're all wearing it. It's almost Kurt Russell got there first, and yeah. he did it better. He certainly carved it out. Territory-wise, it's the, the beard that looks like it's just been hedge clippered oh yeah you know, like that solid ending that it has it's not tapered it's not styled that that's something that i really love about the movie too the design that these guys have just been there for six months and nobody gives a shit about anything anymore yeah exactly they're just their grooming habits are <laughs> perfunctory yes and then it works because you can't see them like they're all wearing armor they're all wearing some kind of disguise anyway exactly the, the goggles and the, the parkas and the facial hair yeah how do you tell who's who even when there is not an alien trying to take the camp over yeah so how old would you have been when you saw this? oh gosh maybe 25 Mm. pretty late i saw it pretty late okay and just this story where in almost any other movie if there had been this many unresolved plot points it would have driven me crazy because i don't think anybody else could have done them properly in almost any other movie you'd end up being like okay but they never went back to who who the dog 
attacked. Oh, they, yeah. it's not it's not clear where Childs went, and this is the like one of the only movies where that drop plot points are what make it work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd never even thought I've lost count of how many times I've seen the movie. And you're right; it never even occurred to me. It's because that that last. Well, we're going to jump all over the, the <laughs> plot gonna, of it yeah. structurally, but that last 20 minutes is just like panic, is sheer panic. Yeah. It doesn't really matter what's going on as long as we know who our guide is. And we're yeah. pretty reasonably sure that McCready is, is human. human. But then there, like, there are characters who you don't even see them die. Mm. They just go off and you never see them again, and you just have to assume that they were taken over. Yeah. And I can't think of any other movie where I would have come out of it satisfied if they'd just been like, yeah, and then you just never found out what happened to them. It's true. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. The thing is there. Because it's the bigger threat. Like, I listen to uh, uh, all kinds of podcasts, but especially the Again With This podcast where they recap every episode of Beverly Hills 90210. <laughs> It's a great podcast, I, I didn't but know it every time there's like a guest star that that's like suppo- clearly at the end, like one of the main characters kisses them, and then the host will just be like, "And we never saw them again," <laughs> and that's clearly just bad writing. They don't write out characters; they right. just sort of the guest star doesn't come back. Whereas this movie, it's like we never saw them again. Isn't that terrifying? Yeah, and it is probably dead. <laughs> uh, just a couple of weeks ago, um, marked the anniversary, the 35th anniversary mm-hmm. of, of both The Thing and Blade Runner, which yep. amazingly opened... The within, same day, yeah, I think. Within hours of each other, I think. <laughs> um, and were both thoroughly rejected at the time. Oh, completely. Just, just, well, and the common logic or accepted explanation is that E.T. came out that year and people wanted well, cute aliens. Yeah, like the week before. Yeah. And, and Well, was it the week before yeah, even? Yeah, I think so. It was the 11th for E.T. and the 18th for Blade Runner and The Thing oh. and the 25th. But it was right around there. And Poltergeist and E.T. had opened in early June, mm-hmm. one a week apart, I'm pretty sure. Or maybe that was just Toronto. But they, they were both playing by the middle of June. And then these two other films came along, which were just like, hey, we we have alternate dystopian dark <laughs> visions, and you don't want to see us. Yeah. And just completely ignored. Yeah. Bulldozed. And almost Clearly, their marketing campaign should have just been, Kurt Russell is the handsomest man yes. you've ever seen. Kurt Russell. Giant beard. And then they'd the be thing. like, did you put him in a coat for most of it? Yeah, then I'm not interested. <laughs> Asterisk, the thing is not the beard. <laughs> I, oh, I don't, I, I missed them. Well, no, I saw Blade Runner theatrically, but I caught up to it a little bit later in mm. second run. Um, and I never saw the thing in the theater. I, I subsequently had, but I never yeah. saw it at the time. I was 13. And I was negative one. Yeah, fine. <laughs> yeah. I'm old. I accept this. Whatever. I'm the oldest person at BuzzFeed. <laughs> One of the oldest people in the office at my work. I don't know how that works. <laughs> um, but I would have loved to have seen it in a theater with people who just didn't know what it was. And I oh, assume, how great would that have been? Yeah, I assume they would have been angry because no one went to see it and the word of mouth was toxic, which I still don't understand. I don't understand. I don't understand. I can understand possibly like seeing trailers for this and being like, nah, I'm more interested in E.T., but I can't imagine coming out of that movie and thinking it was anything other than genius. Yeah, because it is. Yeah. It's it's also That and The Fly are the two great unconscious disease metaphor movies mm-hmm. for the 80s because no one knew what AIDS was when they started making the thing. Like, right. it was grid. It was, it was an undefined gay-related immune disorder and no one knew it was bloodborne and none of that. And then you see this, and it's like, oh, it's this is about AIDS. Yeah. And the fly is about can- I mean, the fly is explicitly about cancer. Cronenberg said it was about his father dying. But um, did you guys know that? Because you bring up the fly all the time. Well, I don't. I don't think I did know you that. You throw that at Jocelyn the next time she starts. <laughs> you know it's sad. 
I cannot believe how much we bring up the fly on our it. podcast. I considering I've seen stops. it one time, like three years ago. And yeah, it was watched like the guy I was sort of seeing brought it, brought it over and we started watching it and I'm like, oh, he gets gross really quickly. Yes. <laughs> that there was going to be more of him doing acrobatics yeah. and he's like, no, it gets super gross. They didn't have the oil budget you know, to do more than one night of, of uh, gold bloom acrobatics. <laughs> They're like, it's Just all the... going towards gross skin yeah, stuff. It's all got to be latex. I'm sorry, yeah. Jeff, but I, I worked out. You can bring some Crisco from home if you want. <laughs> He's poor Jeff Goldblum. He got into such great shape. <laughs> One day of shooting. Well, and that's probably why he signed on to do Earth Girls Are Easy to then show off, show that off. That's right. <laughs> I'm just doing. I'm smoothing the fur. Is when I realize what I'm doing now. Is he red in that? I think he was purple. purple. And then that's right. Wayans oh wait, is... maybe Wayans was purple. One of them was purple. Yeah. Oh, I like that movie. That's such a good movie. It's no respect at all. I know. But but. Sorry, back to the back thing. Back to the thing. Back to the thing in the AIDS allegory I was trying to create. <laughs> but it's it's amazing just how easily it fits into that. It's just this unconscious expression of, you know, a masculine space invaded by a thing, a disease that you can't see, that you can't stop. There's that great little moment where, uh, is it copper? Somebody says, I think we should only eat out of cans. I think that's Fuchs. Fuchs. Yeah. And it's just chilling. And the fact that it took them that long to figure that out, that yeah. you realize, oh, definitely, like, people were infected yeah. without even knowing it. Yeah, and that yeah. sort of brings up, like, so then does it, is it like a, it's a slow takeover of yeah. you? Would you know? Would you know it was happening to you? Uh, have you read Peter Watts' uh, short story that's from the point of view of the thing? Yes, Warm, I think it's called. It's just called The Things. Oh, is it? I believe so. Okay, so Warm is the, like a motif, though, the I think the I word comes up a lot. But yes, I have I read it years ago. I read so it. good. It's mm-hmm. really, really good. Uh, and in that one, it's very... Like, that some of them are automatic takeovers, but some of them are, like, it's still partially them. And then, at parts, Childs is aware that this thing is in his head and he can't control it. Yeah. It's so unnerving. Because when you see it, when you actually see a takeover, we get a glimpse of one. Yeah. And it's just hideous it's, it's awful unsettling it's like a shell shaking and oh and like all like the little like noodle tendrils. Pe- ten- yeah. tendrils i was like what is that it's noodles like a noodle no, this is good <laughs> oh that grosses me out yeah. every single time and the, the practical effects are so great oh, so, and so weird and like rob button was 22 when he first started working on them yeah he was a <sighs> protege of rick baker's they said i was just like god damn it screw that guy it's an era you're not that better than me even though you quantitatively is. are <laughs> yeah he is he absolutely is. Uh, then all of us, not just you. I'm not taking this on. No, just me specifically. <laughs> it's it's the kind of movie that the choices, some of the choices in it are so smart that you, I, I've seen it, I've lost count. I've seen it dozens of times because I, yeah. I gorged on the videotape at the time because we couldn't see it theatrically. It was a hard mm. R in Canada. In oh, wow. You could not go. Like Restricted in 1982 was, wow. it's... 18 and over, period. Do we still have AA here, or we is that now gone? 14A. 14A, yeah. And, yeah, and then to... there's 18A and 18R, where 18R is the old restricted, where you cannot not... bring anyone in under the age of 18. Right. 18A, you can be accompanied by an adult, but you're 17, so you wouldn't go to the parents, you wouldn't go to a movie with your parents anyway. Right. Uh, 14A, yeah, they're they're dumb. Your ratings are dumb. Wow. But hmm. I, I could rent it and bring the videotape home. Hmm. So I watched it panned and scanned for a couple of years. And that oh, was awful. Yeah, that's and not a good... For a few years. And then the laser disc came out. That was widescreen. That was the first time I'd had the chance to see it in scope. Yeah. And like you kids with the DVDs and the Blu-rays <laughs> have been seeing it properly all along. You have no idea how lucky you are. 
because that I lived through VHSs too, man. I know you do. I'm talking to the <laughs> listeners. Um, but the the experience of watching this movie, like you really, it's it's hard to explain to people just how damaging pen and scan was, right? Like it's if you're seeing, there's a shot in the thing where. I think it's the moment, it's the one stop motion moment where the tendrils pull out the, the detonator yes. and drag it across the frame. And on in the old VHS version, you see the, the detonators, no, I think you see the tendrils, then it pans to the detonator and then it pans as the, electronically pans as the, the detonators are pulled into the hole. And you don't get the sense that it's a single static oh, shot, which yeah. is so much more disturbing. Oh, for sure. And Carpenter is just like, he's a master of widescreen. I mean, it, it was great to finally get to see his movies in scope as mm-hmm. they were intended years later after watching the VHS versions for <laughs> 10 years and just see that, oh, wow, yeah, Halloween is gorgeous. <laughs> and it uses negative space and, and the thing just has, you know, you lose those amazing shots of everybody standing out in the snow in the parkas. and Oh, yeah, with pan and skin, that would have not have the same effect yeah. whatsoever. No, it's just so much more unsettling in scope. Yeah. and. And again, using space, like you're in Antarctica, there's literally nowhere to go. It's it's such a smart move. It's the that and Alien are the, the two great isolation horrors, I think, where you're trapped with the thing. You cannot escape. <laughs> right. And well the thing about Alien is they were it was written gender blind. Mm. And but and obviously this one has all men. Yeah. And I that's on purpose because they didn't want any kind of sexuality playing into it, is that I think um, yeah, the, it it avoids the well the because part of well and it like follows the whole like well in males the default so obviously we'll just have all men if they were all women they'd just be cat fighting anyway. Yeah. I like the idea that women would talk it out faster, <laughs> and then one of them would be revealed as you know like the lack of empathy or something that would reveal the thing where you'd have a basically some sort of Bechdel monster test that's never been that they would have to invent that. Well, even partway through the movie when, like, Fuchs is studying by himself, I'm like, why is anybody by themselves yeah. at, at this point? They should all be staying in one room together. Yeah, but that would be even worse, because then you've got the buddy, the monster buddy system, where that's the thing that I love, to another moment of, of like, thing psychology, mm-hmm. where we can't understand it, but they're trying so desperately to figure out what the monster would do, mm-hmm. and it's still, that like, again, it falls back on defaulting, because, well... I think the monster, you're like, what's, what's the line? Is it Windows? No, Gary. Somebody says, I know it's not, I know you're not all taken over because you'd rush me right now. Oh, it's, it's Mac. It's, it's Mac. It's he says, I know I'm human. Yeah. And I know some of you are human. Otherwise, you would just attack me right now. Right. But what if they don't know? I mean, that, he's just assuming that they're, that the things are capable of, in, of intercommunication because there's that later moment when, when, they're tied when I think it's Gary's blood. Te- no, it's I'm, I'm never going to get the names right. Um, it's the the blood test sequence yeah. where I think it's Windows who's tied to the chair and freaking out and also turning into a monster. And someone else is incredibly calm. I don't think so. No, I, no, am I am think I'm misremembering this. The guy, oh, the guy who turns into the monster. It's David Clennon becomes the yes. monster. But yes, it's not Windows. It's not Windows. Windows has been proven to be. Human. Oh, that's right. Windows is yeah. Windows is the one who is after who subsequently. Burn because he is turning into something. Yes. Right. So the idea that you can be sitting next to someone who is the thing, but if you're also the thing, you might not. It's all guesswork. <laughs> there's no, like, there's absolutely no exposition provided, which is so great. I know. Well, and because it's not only is it a film about uncertainty among the characters, it's uncertainty for the audience as well. You sure. don't know when anybody's been turned, mm. and the movie doesn't want you to know. You don't. The whole Blair. 
everything he does, he could be doing because he's human. He could be doing it because he's an he's yeah. the thing. I I'm pretty sure that it's Blair who's infected by the dog, the shadow that we see. Oh, that's the only way that it, that all of it makes sense, and that it's all a cunning plan by the, but then by the alien to create a distraction so he can work on the thing. But I believe that after that is when Blair's looking at the computer with the simulation. Right. But what if he's doing that to see how quickly See how quickly... Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. That's the thing, right? I just keep saying thing. Uh, (laughs) That is the beauty of this script. I think this is the one podcast we're saying that's the thing is the perfect thing to say. You know, and that's the thing. That's the thing. And it is, in fact, the thing. (laughs) Okay, now if I ever do with special guest Lauren Lapkus, that will be my premise. (laughs) My podcast will be called That's the Thing, a show where people just talk about the thing. <laughs> uh, it's it's so it's so beautiful. It's so elegant in the way that it sets all this stuff up and just lets it run too. Yeah, and like this place looks like it's been lived in with nobody nobody coming in or really out for yeah. six months. It looks like a bunch of men have just been living there. I know. There's boxes everywhere, yeah. there's crap on the wall. Now, my question so which one of these guys are the scientists doing stuff in the Antarctic? Because I'm like, McCready's the helicopter pilot. Right. Uh Copper's the doctor. Right. And then there's uh, Childs, we don't know what he is. We don't is. know what he is. And then there's engineer. just the guy who's stoned all the time. Right. Well, what, what's his job? I assume he's one of the scientists. Really? Yeah. Why what not? Is, what's he doing science Probably on? testing psychotropics in <laughs> sub-zero temperatures. Uh, yeah, there's, there's... Let's see. There's the guy who handles the dogs. But, Clark? Yeah, but he's just there for the He's just there dogs. for the dogs. Yeah, well, it's true. Whatever. The support just, crew is bigger than the science. It's just a bunch team. of dudes having a good time. Yeah, twelve guys. All and I, I do. I mean, I don't know if you've seen uh, Herzog's documentary Encounters at the End of the World. But I have not. It certainly seems that the people who choose to go to work in Antarctica just don't want to be around people. Fair. So none of these guys is going to share my kind of place. Yeah. <laughs> uh, except that the penguins get sad and run to their deaths. It's very sad. It's well, I just, I'm not going to hang out with the penguins either. Well, there's scientists for that. <laughs> you might have to be on penguin duty. Ugh. See, but they're they're adorable, except for the suicidal ones. <laughs> it is the greatest moment in that in that movie uh, in the in the Herzog documentary where um, he is talking to someone who studies penguins. That's that's the reason the guy is down there. Yeah. And talking about social structures and how they're you know they just well they move from here to there and they mm. do this and this and they need to get out fast enough so that they can avoid predators. And Herzog just, out of nowhere, because this is where his mind leads him, says, asks, you know, do you, have you ever encountered a penguin who is so overcome by despair that they become suicidal? (laughs) And the guy says, um, not really, but sometimes they get confused and they run in the wrong direction. And they, yeah, and then there's this one penguin, the demented penguin that runs to the hill. The, you know, the penguin is running into the mountains in the distance. He will never reach them. <laughs> and you just sit there thinking, yeah, okay. I believe in you, penguin. I think he got there. No. I think he's having the best time. <laughs> penguin heaven is just a mountain. <laughs> no. But the, but the carpenter world is, there's the, the jobs that they are sent down to, the jobs they have been sent down to do are irrelevant. Yeah. None of it matters. It doesn't matter at all. They're just there to go find out what happened to the Norwegians and nothing good. <laughs> It's, um, yeah, it's, it's the economy of the storytelling, too, where 
the, even the score tells you how merciless and focused the film is going to be. And it opens with the dog running and the mm-hmm. helicopters and we have no subtitles to understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. We're just thrown in the same way the Americans are. And, well, that's the thing. When I watched it this past weekend, and my boyfriend was watching it for the first time. Yeah, yeah. It started and he's like, why are they shooting after the dog? And I'm like, I will probably find out yes. soon enough if you <laughs> were 30 seconds into the film, honey. <laughs> I love you, but it's too soon to be asking questions. And he'd never seen it. He'd never seen it. And how did that go? He liked it. I don't think he was as blown away by it as I was, but we have different tastes in things. We're very similar in some ways, and in other ways we're very different, where he's just like, do you watch all the Netflix? I'm like, pretty much. And he's like, "Do you have? how do you have that many hours in the day? I'm like, you know when you do things? Well, you're doing stuff. I'm watching movies. Yeah, that's what it's for. Yeah. Um. So how did he handle the effects? I mean, what was his response? I, I mean, I love this because I don't know anyone who hasn't seen it. Right. And it's been part of my vocabulary uh, in terms of cinema for mm-hmm. 35 years. Well, 34. But, um, yeah. He didn't really react to, like... Blood test scene? Did he jump? No, did he... not really. Is he he liked th- it fine. Is he Is he the thing? thing? Yeah. Oh, well, maybe. You this podcast that. is going to have a very tragic ending yeah, for you. you know by now. <laughs> Um, uh, oh, yeah. those special effects are so good, though. And yeah. I love, this is not a new thing to say, but I love that movies that in, like, the late 90s, like, mid-2000s that were like, oh, we've got CGI, so this is going to look super real. And they look, they were dated within six months, whereas movies that had have practical effects like this movie last forever. Yeah. Like, I mean, unless they're really terrible, like Troll 2 or something. Like that level of bad. But this, oh, every time it's so gross. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, like, if it had been just sort of a really nice, comforting transition for this alien, it wouldn't have been that terrible. It still would have been scary. It'd be like, oh, it's like a warm hug. Yeah. But instead it's just like, hey, scary noodles are going to attack you. Yeah. Have you ever wondered what it would feel like to have things invading you, like, all over your body and you just kind of not getting away at all ever? Wee! Yeah. <laughs> But the, the genius of it, and I wish I could remember where I first heard this, because it's not my idea and it's been floating around forever, but um, apparently someone came up with the idea to make the colors wrong so that you're instantly put off. The auto- oh. That first autopsy sequence, the, the blood is kept to a minimum and actual human violence is kept to a minimum. Like when Clark gets shot, he just falls down. We don't yeah, see Yeah, that's true. What you do get are close-ups of realistic injuries, like the stitches that someone gets mm-hmm. and... Uh, then there's there's another moment where somebody just well the the, the thumbs right that the horrible scalpel into the thumb yeah it's incredibly convincing that kind of thing why why does it have to be your thumb any movie where it's like there's there's a spell let's cut open our palms do you have any idea how bad that's going to be to heal yeah plus you're not going to be able to do anything with that hand for the rest of the movie right and you never you never get a moment where somebody picks something up and goes ah shit. they're just like no just cut open my palm no bigs yeah. <laughs> Like it's, back, back your hand, yeah. like your arm There's or something. Plenty of places to get blood. What's the matter with you people? Yeah. Why does it have to be the thumb? Ugh. Yeah, yeah. But, I and, it's an, and it's an extreme close-up to just make yep. you go. Yeah. And I, I have subsequently seen it with an audience, and it's so much fun to watch people just like a hundred people just clench up <laughs> yep. in the seats. But then when you see the autopsy sequences on the creatures, on the thing, the aliens. The colors are yellow and green, mm-hmm. and, and there's a blueness in one of them, and it's just, <clears throat> it is wrong in a way that makes you lean in yeah that you look closer and the skeletal structures are different and there's that a dog's head inside of an elbow and it's just like wrong 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 yeah. wrong and it's done so in a way that makes you want to know more 
it's some kind of a predator prey response. The, the back of your brain is going, well, if it's going to eat me, I need to know how. And, oh, there are the teeth. And you're just looking for pieces. You're mm-hmm. looking for an understanding of how it works. And it instantly, it's so great because it puts us instantly in their shoes. These people who are completely unprepared for the threat that they're facing and trying to understand it as they're running away from it. Completely unprepared and coming to Revelations far too late. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nothing, nothing's going to help. Uh, even the, the that somebody was so mad at it, I can't remember who, there was a, either a review Maybe it was Fangoria or Starlock. Some magazine at the time had this really bitchy letter to the editor saying, oh, it's, what a stupid way to destroy something where every cell is a threat. You blow it into a million pieces. It's like, well, they're burning it a lot. They're burning it at That's the same the, time. Yeah, they don't, you don't understand physics. <laughs> Bet the alien does. But the yeah, there's never that moment. And it's, it's sort of, I think it's a direct refutation of the, the original f- film adaptation from 1951, The Thing from Another World, mm-hmm. where the scientists are always constantly trying to figure out how to stop it, and it just doesn't care. Yeah. Uh, there's no moment here where, other than set it on fire or blow it up, which are pretty reasonable responses. Yeah. Um, they don't sit down and try to hash it out. Everything is happening under fire. Everything's happening in the moment. And I'm glad that it's just fireworks to kill this thing. I'm glad there wasn't like a scene of... Okay, fire doesn't work. Okay, we yeah, can't yeah. stab it. What like yeah. I just like nope. This is the one way we know how to kill this thing, but it's smarter than that as well. So what do we do? Yeah, it's the line in is it in Alien? Yeah, it's the first Alien where someone theorizes most most creatures retreat from fire, and uh, and then Cameron while making Alien said, oh, "You never see them use a flamethrower." It, it might not work. It's just an idea. And then they brought it in because when he was building up aliens, he was trying to figure out how to shoot them, how to kill, like mm-hmm. how do you kill these things? Right. And bullets work, but then there's acid. And he decided that fire would frighten them. Oh. But you, again, in, in the movie, you see them get burned a lot, but you never really see them fall down. Hmm. It's possible, but we don't know. It's the great unknown of the alien universe that I'm sure Ridley Scott's going to make a whole movie now to show us. <laughs> oh, fire. Yeah, yeah, fireworks. I, I, I. I assumed you just knew that. Yeah. But in here, yeah, and the thing, it's like there are effective remedies. It's just people don't have enough guns to really use on these things. Although they do have a surprising number of guns <laughs> for this place. That yeah. was one of the comments that my boyfriend made was, wait, there's more cab- cabinets of guns? Why are there so many guns in, oh. in Antarctica? So I assume that was for the Russians. Like if there was a Russian invasion. Oh, I hadn't even considered that. Because everybody was crazy. Yeah. In 1980. Yeah, you know. and surely the Russians have a station somewhere. Yeah, okay, they, I mean, that... they, they did make a whole movie, like this terrible TV movie called World War Three, about the 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 events leading to a nuclear war, starting in I think it's in the Arctic, but it's a polar station mm. where the Americans and the Russians just get into a shootout. <laughs> it took three hours. It was terrible. I think Rock Hudson was the president. It was very bad. Um, but yeah, I just assume that that's some kind of military defense because people are asking. All right, that makes more sense because yeah. when he said to me, he's like, so why do they have guns? And I'm like, I don't know. I wouldn't put guns in my yeah. science lab either. But Same reason they have flamethrowers. Yeah. <laughs> like, it makes for a better movie if they have guns. Yeah. I Just, mean, honestly, if I was making a movie now about scientists in a remote station somewhere, I would have a sign that says, in case of monster. <laughs> Just because scientists are weird. And yeah, they're weird like, like that. that. You'd buy it. Um, it's... Yeah, scientist versus monster. Monster wins pretty much every time. Mm-hmm. Um, but the I'm, we're having way too much fun discussing a very, very grim movie. Like, there's it's not so... a lot of levity in the film. It, when it is fun, there... it's very fun. Yes. Uh, but it's... Oh, I 
every single time I watch the movie, I cannot wait until I get to yell along with the movie, tied to this fucking couch! That was where you were going to go? That's, oh, it's so good. That whole, yeah, the whole blood testing scene is just perfect. Yeah. Really tense. And even, like, I even still jump when he's just like, we'll do you last, and then the blood that he doesn't think is going to react, reacts, and yeah. I jump every time. And it's a brilliant piece of misdirection, too. Yes. Because it's the one off-handed motion, even though it's a stunt hand, like, it's a, it's an effect. Mm-hmm. And this is something that's been lost, actually. We were talking about this with somebody else recently. Um, the grain of the image changes when an optical effect comes in. Oh. Because what you're seeing is a plate uh, for the blood to jump. Yeah. With... I mean, the, I think the plate is actually the people in the background because you're getting... It's not Kurt Russell's hand. It's right. A, it's a dummy hand with a, a squirty thing in yeah. it. The high scientific terms. <laughs> but what you see in a lot of scenes in the thing when the actual optical effects of monsters, you know, like glowing eyes or something, or, or, or fire effect, something, the stop motion, the skittering, mm-hmm. what you're seeing is a change in the grain because it's gone down a level. It's been processed once to add the effect in. Mm. Um it's really interesting. And that's gone in, in the world of CG. You don't see it anymore. But in the 80s, when you knew an effect was coming, like your brain, if you saw enough of these movies, your brain would start to tell you, oh, this shot is going to have something in it because yeah. the texture changes. Hmm. And I've never noticed that before. Yeah. Well, he cuts so quickly into it yeah. that you don't see it in this either, which is the really smart move. Yeah. Um, and it's... Oh, it's so much fun to watch that. Because, yeah, all the other ones are these really serious close-ups of the needle and the squeaking and the... And this is the one where he's just like, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it comes it. after a big, like, the big heavy line that will do you last. This big heavy angry yeah. line. And then all hell breaks loose. And, yeah, the, the theatrical screening, I think one guy may have screamed out loud. <laughs> it was, there was a, there's the gasp, the sucking of air. Yeah. Well, I'm pretty sure somebody, it was so loud I couldn't really tell if it was the noise in the soundtrack or if it was the guy, but I'm pretty sure it was the guy. But it's like moments like that where all the tension in the film is, it's not released. It's, it's just paid it, off. It's just, yes, exactly. Yeah. You don't come out of that scene feeling better, but you feel satisfied. Yeah. And, oh, uh, it's so scary. <laughs> I just and it makes me uncomfortable. It's one of the few movies, horror movies that I've seen that I'm uncomfortable every single time I watch it in a way that I love. Okay. Uh, I love horror movies because I'm an anxious person, and horror movies help me mitigate my anxiety because I'm because while I watch it, it just regular every day. I'm like, oh hey, I'm uncomfortable for some reason. Could be literally anything. <laughs> Did I leave the stove on? Is my cat dead while I'm gone? I don't know. Who knows? It could be whatever. Whereas a horror movie, when I'm feeling anxious, I go, well, it's because I'm watching a horror movie. Everything's fine. Don't worry right. about it. it. Gives and, you a place to put it. Yes. And for about two hours, I get to just sort of relax. But for the most part, once I've seen a horror movie, then I'm like, well... You did your job, but you are never going to work again. <laughs> Whereas I watch The Thing and I just feel better. Really? Yeah, it's really good. Uh, One of my favorite movies is Jaws, which no longer frightens me, but which I just, yeah. I love the rise and fall of it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm alien too, come to think of it. I, like, I've always loved the genre. Um, I don't have much in the way of anxiety. Mm. I mean, if, if I haven't met a deadline, I'll be aware of it all day. It's just like, <laughs> oh, that thing is still hanging over right. me. But that's not anxiety. That's no. scheduling. Exactly. Like, that's just me failing to do something <laughs> properly to get it off my list. I, I, yeah, I I can really see the value in being able to let somebody else do the worrying for exactly. you or force you to worry about exactly. something else. 
so I love horror movies. It is so hard to find really good ones. I was going to say, do you have any others? Uh, well, It Follows is also incredible. Sure. <laughs> that movie, but that movie, like, puts me, like, stays with me for several days, and I'm like, oh, now I'm having trouble sleeping because of that movie. That didn't work. Yeah. Uh, let's see, what else? I think the first Scream is, a- is an incredible. I think it's very effective. Yeah. I think it very much went downhill with the sequels, and the fourth one was a little too, like, winking at you. Oh, yeah. It's unnecessary. Yeah. So when did you discover this? Like, when did you figure out that this was? Well, I'd always really liked watching horror movies, but then just as an adult, like, I just found myself, like, if I was on Netflix looking up what horror movies they had, and if I was in a bad mood, would watch one and I'd mm-hmm. feel better. And there was just, there's, then there was an article on uh, Vice that was just, like, people who have anxiety who love horror movies. Wow. And I read that and I was like, nope, that's me. That's totally what yeah. I do. And it's too bad because Netflix's horror selection is terrible. Yeah, it's pretty limited. <laughs> have you watched, what was I going to recommend to you? Uh, I'm the Pretty Thing Who Lives in the House? I tried that. It didn't really do anything for yeah. me. I, it's funny. It's so weirdly counterintuitive because you have. I think you have to be locked in a theater with it. Mm. I think you can't have any. Dist- like the whole point is that nothing is going to happen until the very end. Right. And even when you get there, it's pretty small. Yeah. But when you're in a theater with it, the soundscape is assaultive. I saw it at TIFF, mm-hmm. and that felt like exactly the right way to see it. And then I remembered, oh yeah, Netflix bought this. No one is going to see this in a the theater. Yeah. And you are being denied the opportunity. To see yeah. the way to see the movie in the only way that it will work. There are some movies that are just so much better with a crowd. Like Get mm-hmm. Out, obviously, sure. seeing that with a crowd is the perfect way to see that movie. Uh, have you seen They Look Like People? I really like that movie. It's clearly made for like five dollars. Yeah. I think if you look at the credits, like the guy, it's like writer, director, production designer, Phil. publicist, Phil's brother. <laughs> like yeah. I think his mom did all the catering. <laughs> like, it's but nice. it's such. It is at once a scary but also quite charming movie about friendship. So yeah, I really I don't know. I like horror movies. I think horror allows you to tell much more creative stories about uh, about subjects that aren't necessarily aren't obviously what it is. I think right. like you'd explain the plot of it follows, and everyone thinks, oh, it's like an it's a an STD allegory. Yeah. It's like no, it's actually about how hard it is to accept your own mortality. Okay. Sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and like just the fear of impending that death is going to come for you at some point no Mm. matter what and i think similar to how like young adult uh literature uh, allows for a lot more creativity than just than sort of adult fiction Mm. i think horror allows you to be a lot more creative with the message you're telling than just with typical drama oh yeah i mean subtext is automatic yeah like it's built right into exactly and for me for the the argument for years in the 80s was that this is where all the next great filmmakers are going to come up because it allows you to show off in a way that most other formats most other genres don't yeah i mean maybe thrillers you know usual suspects is a a gorgeous showcase for brian singer's thing yeah thing that he wants to do but I said, thing again. Um, but, Gabriel Byrne would disagree with you. Yeah. Well, it's just because he picked the wrong role to play. <laughs> but you have, you know, with with um, with horror, you get Sam Raimi, you get Tim Burton, you get you yeah, get, you get James Gunn, you yeah, get uh, a whole bunch of genuinely yeah. visionary filmmakers yeah. or people who and are like, chasing we- something. And, like, weird filmmakers. Like, yeah. I think that's where the greatness comes from, is that you have to be a little bit weird to be able to make really good movies. Yeah. And there are just... no square horror film directors. Or there are no good ones. Yeah. <laughs> There's the guy, like, Romero is, I think, as close as you get, who was somebody who, well, let's make a horror You consider movie. Romero a square? <laughs> well, have you ever met him? No. He's, he's six foot three. Uh-huh. He talks 
like a Borscht Belt comedian, mm-hmm. and he has that tick of, eh, you know, eh, like that. Like that. <laughs> like he's constantly trying to be cool, and it's it just speaks to some kind of weird insecurity that he's never fully adjusted to, despite the fact that he's one of the most beloved and revered figures in, right. the, in the world of this thing that he's created. It's said thing again. Um, but That's uh, the thing, if Norm. this is a drinking game, people are dead. <laughs> but but. Romero, like he made a horror movie because it was a commercial move. He was making industrial films, and it's like, well, horror sells. Let's do that. Yeah. And his lack of style is the best thing about that movie because mm-hmm. it convinces you that it's real. Right. And also invents a whole new concept of zombie that has basically taken over the world. Um, but but he's yeah he's not a cool hip cutting edge visionary. Mm. He's just a guy who saw his way in and made a really like her Harvey who made Carnival of Souls is the same thing. Mm-hmm. They're just these are guys who saw a route that was successful and took it and ended up changing the world because Carnival of Souls weirdly enough directly influences Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. And then all of Romero's subsequent attempts to be cool and interesting and radical are the bombs. They're the ones that don't work. <laughs> his ordinary people films are the best ones, like Martin or well Dawn's a satire. Yeah. But it's pretty broad set like it's a pretty obvious message what really works in that movie is the horror and not the comedy um the shopping mall situation mm-hmm. like you you get it okay yes then they then there's a line of dialogue about how well they must have come here and it was important to them okay just just <laughs> yeah, i got it <laughs> can, we, can we spend more time on the interpersonal dynamics and the eating but carpenter uh has always been a stylist and kind of an ironist you know assault on precinct 13 uh is a remake of of how Howard Hawks cowboy movie Rio Bravo, but with gangs instead of Indians and cops instead of cowboys, and it's just it's amazing and and weirdly transgressive. You know, like he was willing to kill a child in the first, I think, fifteen minutes. A kid gets killed getting an ice cream cone. It's just, well, that's what you get, man. Yeah, don't eat ice cream. It's bad for it's you. True. Well, yeah. Back then, it was like probably unpasteurized. Or something. <laughs> but but to watch, you just died from an unpasteurized ice cream cone. Is it? Yeah, there's a bullet in it. <laughs> Um, but, but yeah, but then watching Like him, really unpasteurized. Yes, exactly. <laughs> this is as bad as it gets, kid. There's lead poison. <laughs> um, but to watch him sort of level up into the studio films that he made, um, that weird trilogy of, of mis, uh, misguided, they weren't misguided. They're all, they're all great. Yeah. Um, The Thing, and, Starman, and Big Trouble in Little China. And they're, I'm going to fight this. They're all great. People, people I, make a face. I feel like, no, I... I feel like the thing is the one thing I like about John Carpenter. Really? Yeah, I I can appreciate what he's what he's contributed to to cinema, but Halloween doesn't really do it for me. Mm. I don't like Big Trouble in Little China. I don't like They Live that much. Okay. But I also totally get why other people do like them. Right. Right. Uh, and it's it's just this weird thing. We're like, I like this this one thing that you do. Yeah. And it's the thing. That's amazing. Yeah. So none of the other ones has ever done it for you. Escape not from really. New York? Escape from New York doesn't do it for me. Okay. The gas in their cars should not work. I don't... <laughs> Where do they get the gas, Norm? Thanks. Where do they get the gas? There are stations all over Manhattan. I will tell you, they're like having watched How do they few, get refilled? They, they would have run them. out by then. They have giant tanks. No. Yes, they do. <laughs> On Little Brother Island. Um, and, that's like, weird. Yeah, and that movie... Has Kurt Russell in it about this time? Uh huh. It's I think it's like one year too early or late for me. Where it's just like only 1982. It's like you get to do. overboard Kurt Russell, and I'm like, eh. <laughs> and I watch Escape from New York, and I'm like, mm, okay. And then I watch The Thing, and I'm like, oh, hello, perfect human man. Okay, so he needs to have both eyes and a full beard. Both eyes and a full beard, and no weird snake tattoo on his on his pelvis. Two eyes, full beard, can't lose. 
I don't have many standards, but... <laughs> it but sounds the, like you do. <laughs> two eyes... Kurt Russell, it sounds like you do. Two eyes, full beard, can't lose, <laughs> I think is the, is the saying. It's, uh... And, yeah, and mostly in a parka. <laughs> Cranky in a parka. I don't know. The parka's a good look. It is There's a little him. bit of mystery there. What's underneath? Let's find out. <laughs> well, with, with Escape from New York, he said that he was playing Clint Eastwood. He was ah. trying to do a really straight Clint Eastwood impression. And... You can sort of see with McCready in the thing, he is being someone who is trying to be cool and gruff and short-tempered, but he's trying a little too hard in some scenes. I think mm. I think it's an intentional performance. There are moments where, especially when he's trying to fight with Childs, where he sort of amps himself up a little bit more. Yeah. And it's a tough guy move, but it feels fake. And Keith David gives nothing back. Like, he's doing the Michael Shannon performance. Keith David is such, like, an oblique actor where, yeah. like, it just works every time. He doesn't have to do anything, he's and it so, seems like he's doing everything. Yeah, he's so great. He's a brick wall. Oh. He is giving nothing back emotionally. Yep. He's not listening. He knows he's smarter than most of these people. I do like that moment when they're deciding who should be in charge, and and Child says, I'll do it. And then McCready says, I think we should get someone a little more even-tempered. Yeah. And Child Child's clearly just kind of goes, like... Yeah, right. That's probably a good yeah. point. <laughs> he has, exactly. He has more self-knowledge. Yeah. It's the... Um, I don't know what he does. I, I'm still not sure what his function is. I think he's probably... As a, like, I think he's a scientist. I think he's a yeah. secret scientist, and nobody respects him, and he's been fighting so hard that he's just pissed off all the time. Yeah, that makes sense. It, it, like, nothing... Def- like, except that he has absolutely no solutions. He offers nothing. Yeah, he offers nothing but just anger and... Just violence. I, I should be in charge... Not that I could really fix anything, yeah. but I don't like being ordered around. <laughs> yeah. Which, again, he sells. Yeah. I believe that for him. Uh, I do love that this movie inspires so many debates about the ending when it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> like, people, I, yeah. like, I was reading the internet, and it, there's there's videos that are, like, half an hour long where it's like, Childs is wearing a different parka. <laughs> Clearly yeah. he is the thing. Or McCready offers him... The whiskey, but he probably put gasoline in it because he was making Molotov cocktails earlier. And the fact that Childs doesn't react to the gasoline proves he's the thing. Or And it's like, yeah. all of you are right and wrong at the same time. It literally does not matter yeah. who is the thing and who is not. They're basically... They're, yeah, Because the whole... they're just fucked. <laughs> yeah, that's it. They're going to die or freeze, to, or freeze and be the thing. Yep. And it doesn't matter. And the one great thing about... I said it. <laughs> the one just just lean into I it, man. Gonna have to lean this. into the thing. Yeah, the one wonderful element about <laughs> I don't care now. I'm, now it's in my head uh, about the the prequel, which I, I don't know if you've seen the 2011 movie. Uh, oh, the with pre- Mary Elizabeth Winstead and, yeah. and Joe Edgerton. Did you see it? I saw it. I kind of mm. like it. I think it's, if you... it's not that it was terrible. It's that it was completely unnecessary. Yeah. Completely unnecessary film. I like agree. you don't need. It doesn't need to exist. Yeah. Like hey, now you can find out what happened at the Norwegian station. I know exactly what happened at the Norwegian yeah. station. I don't need the specifics. Yeah. That's what makes the the 1982 version perfect. Yeah. And the work they put into replicating the specifics that we will find eventually, the mm-hmm. frozen bodies and the head that's melted and all that. Yeah. That is really annoying because it serves. You're right. It serves no purpose. Yeah. But what I like about it is the way that it shows us how humans will do the same thing in the same situation, but with slightly different outcomes. I mm-hmm. really like the idea of someone coming up with another way to test for thingness. 
That's kind of cool. It's irrelevant. You're it's right. also irrelevant. It's just that they wanted to make a movie connected to the thing, and they were like, well, what did they have in the first one? A test? Let's come up with another test. Yeah. Do your fillings fall out? Can it replicate earrings? Yeah. I think that's sort of cool. I mean, okay, I'll put it this way. I had to see it. Because that's my job. I had to go see this movie. Just as I have to see every Transformers movie. And every time, I, it's like, please let there be a reason for me to enjoy this. And then the fact that in this one... Oh, I'm so glad I'm not a film critic anymore. Oh, it's a bad life. It's a bad, miserable life. There are five Transformers movies. I know. There's so many of them. I've never seen a single one. Well, good for you. I know. You don't have to. And I'm not gonna. No, that was not me complaining whatsoever. <laughs> that was me bragging. <laughs> That's about right. Yeah. Ugh. Nope, just subtle lot. Nope, bad. <laughs> They're all very bad. Uh, but yeah, sitting down for the other thing was, I was surprisingly invested. I thought it would, you know, I, this, I like these actors. I like mm-hmm. the situation. It's, it's clever. It's not just a stupid prequel because we've seen plenty of those. Sure. It's not Prometheus, the thing, or Alien Covenant, the thing, <laughs> or whatever else there is. It's <laughs> the thing covenant. The thing covenant. The Covenant thing. But there, <laughs> the thing about the Covenant is... <laughs> but there is a way to... The, like, just that they found a way in and out mm-hmm. makes me now enjoy the ending of the thing even better because what I want is, in the long shot at the very end of the two of them sitting around the fire, I want to see Mary Elizabeth Winstead's little <laughs> Range Rover pull up over a dune and, <laughs> and have everyone just going, oh, what the fuck is it now? Because they're all going to die. Yeah, even, She's not going off to a happy ending. She's just out there. Yeah. And so are they. And I like the idea that there are just these multiple locations in Antarctica in 1982 that are all just fucked. <laughs> and maybe they can find each other and maybe they can't, but it's not going to make a difference. The fatalism, like the fatalism of a, a prequel having optimism being met with the original just going, no, there's no answer. Well, here. maybe they'll George Lucas it and just like CGI Mary Elizabeth Winstead into the ending Eventually, of the thing. Yeah. But I think a lot of my favorite movies are ones where when the movie starts, something has clearly happened before. Mm. Uh, like this one, um, I think like The Usual Suspects, like clearly like sure, six weeks yeah. ago, somebody robbed. Yeah. Like I, I like that there is a history that you need to figure out as you are watching new events unfold. And I think making the, a prequel, I'm like, no, we don't. Yeah. We don't need it. Yeah. I like Mary Elizabeth Winstead a lot. Sure. But... I hope she bought a really nice beach house with that money. (laughs) (laughs) I hope she paid off some of her student loans. Yeah. Possibly the best thing about the experience. I said it again. Uh, Possibly the best aspect. The best part of this podcast is just listening to you get mad at yourself for saying thing. I'm in my own head. But I will say that seeing that movie in a a big theater, Mm -hmm. like the the big AVX or whatever they call it this year, Room, uh, was watching that with a crowd, six, seven hundred people. Yeah. At the very end, when the dog, the last shot of, of the prequel is the first shot of the new film, right. the dog running off with the helicopter behind it, it it ends, and some guy in front of me goes, is that it? <laughs> Had he, he not seen it? Clearly oh. no. And his friends immediately went, are you kidding? <laughs> it was great. He, he had not seen the Carpenter film. Oh. Didn't know what he, I have no idea what he, must have won tickets on the radio. Well, honestly, they didn't make it clear that it was a prequel, I think. It was supposed to be a surprise that... Yeah, I mean, you have to know going in, I guess. Yeah, like if you... Because it came out and someone was like, actually, it ends up being like what happened before because the marketing just made it seem like they were remaking the thing, Mm -hmm. which made me furious. (laughs) (laughs) And then someone said, no, they're making a prequel. And I thought, that's a little better. 
but also unnecessary. But if I had just gone into it with the impression that it was a remake of the thing and also had never seen the 1982 version, I probably would have finished being like, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I I didn't ever... I mean, I, I must have known. I must have known that it yeah. was a prequel. But I thought there were enough clues. And I guess the, the the shock to me is that someone hadn't seen it. That there that there are people who are unfamiliar with the Carpenter film because it, it's a touchstone to me. I have shown many people the thing for the first time. Really? Well, mostly among like men I've dated where I just find out they haven't seen the thing. And so then I watch it with them. Who doesn't know about the thing? Yeah. It's there was one guy who was like, I'll watch the thing if you watch Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. And I was like, well, we're just going to break up. Yeah, that's not a good that's, relationship yeah. to be. Ooh, if that's your favorite movie... We're not necessarily going to break up, but we're probably going to break up. <laughs> the clock is ticking. <laughs> Oof. Fear and Lo- yeah, Fear and Loathing is one of those movies. I think I'm, I'm about to quote you. I think you were the one who said it on a podcast maybe last week. Someone just talked about it, saying that the uh, in 10-minute chunks it makes sense. Oh, no, it was uh, it was Will Sloan on uh, on the Important Cinema Club. Oh. Talking about Gilliam somehow. They weren't even doing an episode on him, but it came up and said... Every sequence of it makes sense and feels like a good movie, but if you put them all together, it's just numb. I have tried to watch that movie no fewer than five times, because early on in my dating life, I dated multiple men who were like, no, you just got to give it another shot. I promise it's good. And And I'm like, so they're high, and they go somewhere, and some messed up stuff happens, and then they go somewhere else, and some messed up stuff happens, and then they go to another, yeah. and they're like, yeah, that's the movie. And I'm like, that's a, that's a bad movie. Yeah. The problem with... The problem with Fear and Loathing is, is, as much as I love Terry Gilliam and root for him to, to pull it off every time, I think it, ultimately it's unfilmable. You can't tell that story in an interesting way because no. it's just some guy telling you how fucked up he got one time. Yeah. And nobody wants to sit there for Dude, two hours. Dude, I don't want to hear about your dreams and I don't want to hear about your drug trip. <laughs> nobody gives a shit but you. <laughs> yeah. You know, at the very end, Johnny Depp makes a really sad face. Oh, oh well then. You mean his face? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Johnny Depp's not funny We've tilted back over into yeah, the abuse of alcoholic Johnny Depp, and uh, the world is a sadder place for it. <laughs> that sounds like I was okay with him being happy abusive alcoholic. That's not fair. I'm a bad person. We weren't okay with it. We just didn't know about it. Oh, we knew. There were stories of him trashing hotel rooms in the 90s. It's yeah, just that everybody forgot. Captain Jack We knew it about okay. it, but then Pirates of the Caribbean came out, and everyone was like, he's so good. He must be a good person now. Yeah. And he sort of kept that up for five or six years and then kept being himself yeah I'm so glad that Kurt Russell has turned out to be a good person yeah a good and decent him human. and Goldie Hawn just having the best time they being decent happy. human beings yeah. loving their kids yeah <laughs> but yeah no I, I like Carpenter who hasn't made a movie in forever has that's since 2010 sort of, I think uh, the, the ward was that 2010 I think so I saw it at the time it's terrible yeah um, like real and with Amber Heard Oddly enough. Okay. Um, who can do anything. I mean, I'm, I'm in awe of her as an actor. I think she's really <laughs> terrific mm-hmm. and great at using her image against itself and, and playing stuff like the Playboy Club or, yeah. or even the film she made with Depp, The Rum Diary, um, where she's using her weird sort of out-of-time anachronistic sexuality as a 60s character to be really interesting. She had that little phase where she was just making period movies. Yeah. And she was great in all of them. <laughs> Um, but yeah, she, uh, it's not her fault that the movie doesn't work, but it, the ward just turns on one of these exhausted old, uh, gimmick twists that no one should be doing anymore. Yeah. And that I can sort of understand John Carpenter going for it because it doesn't seem like he's really connected to entertainment these days and he's just working. He's with... probably not really in touch. Yeah. <laughs> he just sort of does the stuff he wants to do. 
Yeah, which is just hasn't been good for a long, long time. Yeah. And I would like to believe he he's like he's making music now. He's releasing albums of scores Weird. and stuff. Because well, he started as he's a, John Teshing it up, kind of. <laughs> yeah, he. I think it's called like lost scores or forbidden scores or something. But he. It's called Can I Borrow a Feeling? <laughs> it's all instrumental. Of course and, it and, is. And you know, I think the thing is the. Is The Thing the only film he didn't score? No, Starman as well doesn't have a, a Carpenter score, but okay. he wrote the music for most of his films. Oh, wow. Yeah, and that, that kind of weird minimalism electronic thing that he does mm-hmm. and that uh, Ennio Morricone is aping in The Thing. Mm-hmm. Like very, it's, it's the most Carpentery, non-Carpenter score. Other than It Follows, which quotes like themes and, and motifs from him mm-hmm. very liberally. Like It Follows is basically a John Carpenter present-day movie that, Pretty much, that Carpenter yeah. himself isn't making. Which is sad. It's like that was the other thing too. I never and it follows it. also takes place out of time. So. Yeah, and I, I talked about that with David Robert Mitchell when when he brought it to TIFF. It's like, well, this is you made a John Carpenter movie, kind of like this is the the, the logical follow up to Halloween. He said, oh well, it's in a Halloween, it's in a universe where there's genuine, inexplicable supernatural horror. Yeah. And of course, my response is, well, Halloween is genuine, inexplicable supernatural. <laughs> He's a boogeyman. And he said, well, and I had to say, yeah, I may have gotten a little too nerdy, but the, you, yeah, no. go figure. But the thing that Carpenter does, I did it again. <laughs> what John Carpenter does, I'm going to keep it all. I'm not cutting it. What John Carpenter the thing does. That John Carpenter does. Yeah. Is establish this, this sense of menace in the frame. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how he does it so reliably in so many different ways in all of his movies, but they all start off with the immediate sensation that none of this is going to end well. No. And the the way just that, a like, just a baseline. Yeah. <laughs> like that's it. Just, Those, just bow, that bow. <laughs> menace. And the the opening shot of the spacecraft which apparently happens, it's a 40,000-year-old flashback. That's the one shot where I'm not sure it is needed in the film. Mm. Do you th- like? Do you like that part? Does it need to be in there? I don't know. I think it's really evocative, because it sets you up for something that you're never going to get. Like it sets you up for space monsters, and some kind of larger scale story. But then you get the the visual echo of it with the thing that Blair has been building, right. the ship that Blair has been building. Um, <laughs> it's never going to stop. It's an easy word to say. Um, but yeah, you see what Blair has been building in his little subterranean jump cave or whatever that thing is, and you get the echo of the ship at the beginning, which is okay, in a weird way. And maybe that's why it's there. But I feel, yeah, I feel like you could cut that opening shot of the spaceship crashing completely, because you end up seeing the spaceship at the Norwegian station anyway. That's true. So you, like, when you see what Blair has been building at the end, see, it's not that hard to avoid the word. (laughs) You'll say it. You'll say (laughs) it Then, Then you have that echo of it. Right. And... Yeah, I feel like at the start it does like it does set you up for a completely different film than it ends up being, which I think was the point, but also I think doesn't quite work. Yeah, it's funny you could argue the same thing about Predator, which has the shot of the ship and the little ejection. I've actually at the very never beginning. seen Predator. Oh really? Yeah. Well, Predator's pretty good. All right. Surprisingly great, actually. I, I did an episode with Tom Bennett a few months ago and had to rewatch it, and that's also thirty years old now, and, hmm. and celebrated a little anniversary. And it's like, nope, that's practical effects. Yeah. A couple of cool opticals. Very simple understanding of machismo. It's it's again like like the thing. It's much smarter about male dynamics than right. you might think. Yeah, and they both open with a shot of a uh, alien, you know, establishing <laughs> that there is something from space. Right, and neither of them needs it, really. Now that you mention it, because the the point of Predator is that they are 
that you don't realize, or that the characters don't realize that there's an alien stalking them for a good hour. And I think that a better film don't I, I like finding things out at the same time as my characters I don't mm. like to be smarter than the characters all the time yeah. sometimes I like figuring stuff out a little bit before they do so I can feel smarter than them. <laughs> but for the most part yeah I don't there there's dramatic tension of there's something I know that they don't but there's no tension with I'm smarter than they are <laughs> right yeah I, I prefer that too I mean just at least let the characters be as intelligent as I am yeah and and not know Literally nothing going into this situation. But with Carpenter's movie, um, to a lesser extent with the Howard Hawks film, which is shorter. Sorry, Christian Nyby Hawks produced it, but the story goes that he probably directed mm-hmm. half of it. Uh, in The Thing from Another World in 1951, it's a bunch of scientists and some ladies who are, I think, also doctors, medical doctors. Mm-hmm. Uh, in an Women. Installation. Yeah. But there's also, there's also military mm-hmm. and there's a, it's a Cold War station. Yeah. In, an, in the Arctic, not Antarctica. And the, the monster is James Arness, who would later be on Gunsmoke, in a big bald cap with scary knuckles. <laughs> like it's it's a not it's a completely different conception of, of the story. John W. Campbell's story is about a body swa- a body inhabiting alien yeah. that, and the blood test is in the short story and it's all there. And then I think it was Warner Brothers took it and just threw it all out and had a B movie about people running around with guns trying to shoot a monster that was an ambulatory. It was made of like it's a carrot. It was made of vegetable matter, so it's hard to kill. That's <laughs> it doesn't have a heart. You can't shoot it. And someone uh, there is a line like an intellectual carrot. The mind boggles, and that's carrot the kind juice of, is murder. Yeah, now it is. I remember that song. Um, arrogant worms. Arrogant worms. Yeah, represent. Um, the problem with that movie in addition to it being really just basic and silly and every other monster running around in the dark thing is that there is the inevitable scene where the scientist tries to reason with the monster and the monster just straight up kills him which is fun (laughs) yeah but this movie this version by returning to campbell's story and by locking us down with paranoia and terror there you can't even reason with your friends there's no way to use your intellect yeah. to solve this problem. Well, and I really like when movie monsters are smart. Mm. Uh, this one, and also in It Follows, they, I've, uh, <laughs> it's going to be a partly It Follows podcast, I guess. But I've argued with people where they say, well, like, just get on a plane. And I'm like, there's one line in It Follows that explain, it says it's slow, but it's not stupid. Yeah. Like, it can get on a plane. And at the end of the... Uh, and It Follows when they have their plan in the pool... Like it walks in, it knows what your plan is. It's like, if it was a dumb monster, it would not. It would have worked. But this thing, the thing from it, follow it. Yeah. Like knows what you knows that you're gonna try to beat it. It's not. It it walks in, appearing as her dead dad. Like it's not a dumb monster, and this one is not a dumb monster either. It leaves clues that McCready's been turned. It trick. It makes Blair act like he's. Just scared the monster's gonna or the alien's gonna get away. Well, it can be argued whether or not he's been turned at that point. But oh, I think I I think it's I, I, logically he's the only one whose behavior is consistent either way. Yeah. Everybody else, their their fear, their paranoia is generic, and it might be a clever monster saying that, mm-hmm. or it might just be a guy panicking. But the only person who's I mean, unless it's um, oh. Maybe it's Norris. It could be Norris. Like, Norris is the only other possibility yeah. because he fakes the heart attack in order yeah. to... Well, I, I just assumed that the heart attack was real, that 
the thing took over like oh, an, it, an imperfect duplicate or a perfect well, duplication per, of, of a guy human. with a heart problem. <laughs> That's interesting. And then it's improvising when, but that, and when like, the paddles come down. And then that happened. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I like that. I never wanted, I, I mean, I just thought that was the, like, the most elaborate trap you well, could it's because, the thing. And but like when how. Norris is by himself, he's like, oh, my heart. <laughs> that that's true. Yeah. Yeah. He's not performing. What if that is, yeah, if that's an infected person, if the thing is surprised rather than yeah. Norris that he's having these palpitations. Like he, well, and like the thing wouldn't know until it took him over. Like, oh, this is a defective body. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. I never bothered to think about that. I was so sure that it was Blair. But yeah, oh, and if it, if it is Norris, then it makes even, like, it's even less strategic. It's just a guy who was alone when a dog came up in a room. Exactly. As opposed to finding the well, smartest and, person. And like, it. even Clark was, like, alone with the dogs for 90 minutes and doesn't get turned, so mm-hmm. who knows? Yeah, but he was alone with them before the dog went after the other dogs, right? And that's that's the best and most disturbing, we haven't even talked about just how horrific that dog transformation is. Oh, that's Lovecraftian it, shit. That's oh, really awful. Doing bad things to dogs, even if it's not real. But like, I was like, but that dog really did get sprayed with that stuff. Like, those dogs were upset for a little while. Yeah. I bet they're all still alive. It's probably fine. Probably beef flavored. They didn't mind. <laughs> yeah, Kate has the same problem with uh, with dog violence. Or dog implied distress. Well, there's a very good website that's like, does the dog live, I think. Oh, so it's like a movie, and if you're worried of like, what's going to happen to the dog, you could look it up, and they'll be like, don't worry, dog ends up, ends up fine, that's or amazing. no, the dog's dead. And also, my boyfriend and I had an idea for a movie, uh, a movie podcast just called, But What Happened to the Dog? <laughs> Which is like, we would watch a movie that is not about a dog, right. but a dog appears in the movie at some point, and we would watch up until the last scene that the dog appears in, and then we would discuss what we think happened to the dog. Oh, that's nice. I would listen to that show. Somebody's doing that now. A guy named Adam Peacock has a show called My Neighbors Are Dead, and it's about peripheral characters from horror movies. Nice. But it's it's not uh, canon. It's like invented characters. Right. Um, there was the, the first one, I think, was, was uh, a Fright Night bit, where it was a guy who lived two doors down from Jerry Dandridge, and only saw... Oh, he was a really nice guy. We went to his barbecue. I mean, he didn't eat anything. We thought that was weird. But other than that, he was a really nice guy. <laughs> but, yeah, to follow along with characters... Oh, that's amazing. The adventures of this dog. Of this dog. Well, <laughs> the, we watched... I showed him the movie once for the first time. Oh, yeah. And there's a part where they just take a break from recording their album, or they're done recording their album, and then they just go to the beach and there's just a dog there. Yeah. And then they leave without the dog and we both thought but what happened to the dog yeah and then we spent we i think we paused the movie and spent a good amount of time being like the dog's fine don't worry about it the dog is probably the director's dog yeah the dog was inspired by them to have his own career go off and record an album yeah bad things happening to animals in movies don't sit well with me i still am not over lou and davis leaving the cat behind in that car That That'd poor cat. I'm sure the cat was probably found. He probably just ate John Goodman. It's sure. fine. But... He's curled up inside him for one. Oh. Well, but Don't the leave the cat behind. Oh, but that's how you know he's a bad person. He I doesn't know. deserve success. I understand. I understand <laughs> the point. Yeah, it's not about emotion. I mean, it's or rather, it's not about logic. It's yeah. about emotion. The, I understand what you're doing. I just don't like it. Yeah. I'm, and for me, the, it's just the simple, you know, cat probably has his own craft services table. It's going to oh, be yeah. fine. In real life, that cat is the most yeah. pampered cat Fancy in the world. feast, 24 hours a day. You were in a, the cat that's <laughs> to all its friends. It was in a Coen Brothers movie. Uh, so I know I said it didn't matter earlier, but do you have an opinion on the ending and if Childs is the thing or not? I think 
He's not. Really? I suspect. Yeah. Well, because the whole movie is about trust, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's got to be more tragic if they can't finally believe that they're safe. If neither of them trust oh, the other. Interesting. And it's about because everything Childs does, and and this, this sort of dovetails with my theory that Mac is fronting a little bit. I think they're both just putting up as brave a face as they can, and they're going to die together. Mm-hmm. And they can't. You know, if they were willing to huddle up, they'd buy each other another 10 minutes. But yeah. it's, nothing's going to save them. Nothing's going to save them. But they still, they will die not knowing that they're safe. And I think that's why it's so tragic. Oh, that's a good interpretation. That's where I go. <laughs> I'm an emotional person. Um, but, you know, I don't, I, I'm not going to argue that the thing is really all about feelings. <laughs> but it kind of is. It's about trust and, and believing yeah. that, you, that you're safe. And, you know, man is the warmest place to hide. But the warmth is also emotional. And... None of these characters hangs out. None of them is really very friendly. They're sort of, they've got camaraderie, but they're not close. And for Mac and Charles, for the two most alphas after yeah. Gary. And who don't even really like each other. Yeah. Have just been thrown together and now they're the only ones left. Yeah. At the end of any other movie, this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Like to put a hat on, <laughs> to hang a lantern on it. Yeah. That's where these movies always end. And they're, they're they can't talk to each other and they're going to die anyway. And I think it... It's as, I mean, the opening is bleak, but at least those two guys in the helicopter were trying to do something together. Yeah. And it it doesn't end well for them either. Uh, And that, yeah, the weird, sad comedy of that grenade at the very beginning. Ugh. Echoing the explosion at the end. If they just not dropped the grenade, everything would have been fine. (laughs) Or not gone to look for it. Because that's that's such a human reaction that you drop it and you start looking for it instead of running away. Ugh. But, yeah. Yeah, it's almost, just run away. Yeah, it's almost funny when that body just gets fired up into the sky because it's early enough in the movie that we really don't know what's going on yet. And it's it's amusing and horrible. Yeah. And then all the comedy drains away because you realize there's a dead person. In the, and that's yeah. basically this entire movie. Like yeah. the when the head grows the little like spider, the spider legs, legs and yeah. walks away. And just <laughs> every time I watch the movie, even though I know what happens, I go... What if they don't turn around and see it? Yeah. And I love that they do turn around and they all just go like, are you fucking yeah. kidding me? <laughs> and that shot too of it skittering. Yeah. Oh. In the in the background. It's funny. There it's is no funny. worse sound than skittering. <laughs> oh, just even the word skitter makes <laughs> makes my spine just go like, ah. Because <laughs> nothing good skitters. That's true. Nobody Puppies don't skitter. They, you know, on, on wet floors. Sometimes. They slip adorably. Yeah, it's different. It's different. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's something with claws. Something, yeah. And, and ill intent. It's tapping. Something's tapping that should not be tapping. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. It's, and it's another shot that was destroyed by the Panascan version, in fact, because they follow, they, they have to pan away from, I think it's Clark in the shot. It's over his shoulder that it moves around. Uh-huh. Um, so there's a human face, and then the pan to the empty space where the head is about yeah. to skitter just kills that shot. It's uh-huh. not funny. It's funny when you see it static. Exactly. And again, John Carpenter is a visual genius. Dean Cundey, uh, who shot this and who shot like Jurassic Park and oh. and a whole bunch of other really so great he's movies. doing okay. Yeah, he's fine. Um, it's it's one of those moments in in a, a film cycle where everybody's in the right place at the right time to make this movie. Like, mm. It was written by Bill Lancaster. Bill Lancaster wrote the Bad News Bears, <laughs> and somehow, I mean, it's about a team, I guess. But somehow he's the right guy One to write One thing this. I realized is just like, screenwriters just write whatever. <laughs> it's just you write thing. one thing people like and they'll just say like, okay, can you do anything else? And they're like, yeah, whatever. Just give me, just let me pay my bills. Yeah. 
well, if this was a if this was a money job, he did a great one. Yeah, it's and they all did, and then it didn't make any money, and everybody made fun of it, and somehow people were just wrong, 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 wrong. Uh, history proved proved us right. Sure. <laughs> Thirty five years later, who's laughing now? Probably not John Carpenter. Who's like, I wish people had seen it in nineteen eighty two. Poor guy. Ah, he still got to make a bunch of movies That's after true. that. Yeah, he had two more studio pictures before uh, he had to cycle back to the low-budget world uh, with Prince of Darkness and, and They Live, which ended up being really good. Yeah. Even if you don't totally like them. I don't accept this. I don't dislike it. I just It's not for cats is <laughs> what, what They Live is. That's your thing. <laughs> so, okay, so the final question on the podcast is always the same, which okay. is, is simply has, and I'm really interested in the answer. Okay. How, if anything, has any of the thing made it into your own, you know, creative DNA? Do you find yourself citing it, quoting it, using it? Have you done a BuzzFeed quiz? Which character are you? Oh, I have not, and now I need How to How have do... you not done this? <laughs> uh, amazingly, our audience of teens and early tw- <laughs> people in their early 20s probably don't have the same relationship to it as I do. I would still like to see that quiz. <laughs> but is does it come up? Do you uh, use it as a reference for yourself? Well, if I find out somebody liked the thing, then I'm like, we might get along a little bit. Although I've now, like, learning that, like, there is, you, as a kid, you go from like, what are you like? And then you, then you get a bit older and you're like, what do you like? And then you come back to, okay, but that's actually not a foolproof, foolproof bellwether of what people are like. But it's a, it's a good indication that we might have a good, have similar tastes. Uh... It is a surprising, like, weird milestone in with in, in relationships I've had, where yeah. it's like, do we know each other well enough that I can show you the thing now? And will you understand why it's my favorite movie? Yeah. And my boyfriend now was just like, well, I get why it's your favorite movie. That's okay. Yeah. That's actually all anybody can mm-hmm. ask. It's an empathy test, sort yeah. of. And, yeah, basically, I'll watch almost anything with Kurt Russell in it. Even though he hasn't done it for me for right. a long Except time. Except Escape from New York. Sadly. Yeah. Or Escape from... Well, I still saw it. Okay, it... <laughs> yeah, that's true. Did you see Escape from L.A.? Uh, no. 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 You shouldn't. I shouldn't. It's terrible. It, isn't it just the same movie? Kind of. Yeah. But, but dumber and with CGI. <laughs> it's not good. Yeah. No. And I like, I like that Kurt Russell now is just sort of like playing ironic Kurt Russell in every single movie he does. Yeah. Which... If you get to that point in your career where people just hire you, hire you to ironically play yourself, you have made it. <laughs> yeah. It's less work, and they do the hair for you. Oh, you get a recurring role in the Fast and Furious movies. You are set for life. <laughs> I was thinking of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Oh, that where too. He's, pl- he's pl- practically playing Space Jack Burton. Yeah, that's exactly what he's trouble. doing. Oh, no, I want to watch Big Trouble again. <laughs> you don't have to stay. <laughs> My thanks to Cat Angus, who you can enjoy every Wednesday on the I Hate It But I Love It podcast. I hide by life for life, yo. You can also enjoy her stuff on BuzzFeed Canada pretty much all the time. She just used one of my tweets in a thing about Spider-Man Twitter, and I am honored. You can also find Kat on Twitter at Cat Angus, all one word. Katangus, I guess. And you can find The Thing on Blu-ray and DVD in a truly glorious special edition from Shout Factory. It's also available for sale and rental on iTunes and Google Play. Also, the short story Cat mentioned is indeed called The Things, and it's by Peter Watts. You can find it pretty easily online, and I'll share a link on the show's Twitter later today. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner, and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. If you want to leave a review on iTunes, that would be very kind of you. Nobody trusts anybody anymore, and we're all very tired. 
Thanks for listening. 